0: let's take out my phone (laughs) why start my stopwatch (laughs) otherwise you will miss lunch and we don't want that well praise God it truly is a joy to be with you Um, if you have your Bibles please turn with me to the book of Ephesians and we in fact will be looking at chapter 5 focusing on one verse today just one verse verse 21 And I will be reading uh, from the Legacy Standard Bible. Let us read our one verse, Ephesians 5, verse 21. And it says this. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now today we'll be looking at a very important subject. We will be looking at the topic and the subject of submission And the title of the message is The Heart of Submission and Serving One Another, or another title might be Submission, the Posture of the True Christian. And we will see how the Apostle Paul delivers this message to us, gives us this topic, and it's important for the Christian to truly grasp this. Now, submission is one of those things that man will always push against. We will always push against that. Why? Because at the heart of submission is putting aside pride. And at the heart of all sinfulness is, of course, pride. And every sin we ever commit, of course, is done out of our own pride, our own desire to satisfy ourselves. And this is the status quo of our culture. right? We live in a culture that is thriving on independence and preference Preference is king in our culture, right? Everything can be customized in our life. Food can be customized. You can have it cooked the way you want it, when you want it. You can have substitutions to your liking so that you can tweak your meal exactly how you want it. Clothing. Clothing can be chosen. The color you want, the size you want, you can have it custom fit and tailored to your body. Homes. Homes can be custom built, kitchens can be tailored, offices can be tailored so that the books are organized perfectly. Education, education can be tailored, you can have online education now, full time, part time, electives of whatever you choose, and even our physical appearance, we can go to the gym, we can exercise to change our bodies, we can even have nips and tucks if we wanted to go that far. Now, these things in and of themselves are not sinful, but our flesh is sinful, and it's our flesh that often leads us in a direction that focuses primarily on our preferences. Now, we are told in our culture that uniqueness and individuality is ideal. This should be where we are putting our focuses and our preferences and our opinions are so valuable to who we are inherently our identity it is the priority your path in life your career your interests these are the things that we must invest in says our culture otherwise you will never be happy you must pursue your individualities and your desires in order to be truly happy but the Christian has a responsibility to stop there and say, wait a second. The picture that the Bible gives us is a little bit different. And our identity should be firmly based in what the Scripture gives us, should it not? So in a sense, if our identity is coming from the Scriptures and we see a difference between what the Scripture teaches and what the world teaches, there should be a level of dissatisfaction with what the world is giving us. We shouldn't be attracted To that. And today's text is designed, hopefully, to illustrate the difference between what the world has given us and what God is instructing us to do in terms of seeing our identity. And we must see the drastic opposition that the world gives to our God's teaching and what the Lord has intended for our hearts and desires. And we must be willing to embrace the stark differences that we see between the scriptures and the world. Because only when we do that can we truly flourish in our faith. Only when we do that, when we are willing to see the stark difference between what the world is giving us and what the Lord has given us, and we focus in and we devote to what the Lord is giving us, can we truly flourish, and not only flourish, but give God glory. And that should be our desire. What should be attractive to us and what we look forward to every day needs to be centered on the word of God. And now this, our topic today, is the heart of submission. The heart of submission. But before we look at our verse, what I want to do is I want to build out the context for you. I want to build out the context so that we can see how our verse, how our teaching on submission fits within the larger book of Ephesians so we can see it from a big picture perspective of what the apostle Paul is actually building for us and what it does is that that accentuates the value of our text today now the easiest way to look at the book of Ephesians is this the book of Ephesians is broken down into two parts two parts the first half of the book focuses on doctrine and the second half of the book focuses in on duty doctrine and duty Now the first half, chapters 1 to 3, we have the Apostle Paul teaching on the magnificent foundational truths of what it is to live the Christian life. Salvation, redemption, election, eternal security, sanctification, glorification, and unity within the truth. I mean, those are the big hitter topics, building the foundation of what we are as Christians. And we celebrate that. It's an exciting book, and it's full of deep, rich theology that we must know and grasp. But the second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, we enter into seeing how Paul is now instructing us how to utilize those foundational truths and then live out the Christian life. That's the duty. And duty, in fact, is the best word because living out the scriptures is not an option. We have to hold ourselves to the responsibility to understand if God says it, I am obligated. I have a moral duty. To see what the Lord has given me and to live it out. And that's what the second half of the book of Ephesians is. Now our verse today is located in the second half. We are getting very practical as to how do we live out our Christian faith? How are all of those foundational truths and doctrines designed to affect me and change me? And they should. And Paul starts the second half of the book with the Christian's commission. Turn back just one chapter to chapter 4. And we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 1, as we build the context, as I sort of set this up for our teaching on submission. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul says therefore, or considering. What does he mean? He says therefore, or considering all of the magnificent Rich, deep, foundational truths that we just saw in the first half of the book. Considering all of those things, now walk. Now walk. Now walk simply means living it out. This is your day-to-day life. You see many times, walk, walk, walk. It's talking about living it out, your day-to-day lives. But he says something very significant and very important. He says, to walk in a manner or a way that is worthy of your calling... Worthy of your calling. You see, the underlying motivation of how we walk, how we go through our lives day to day, the underlying motivation must be equivalent to our calling. Your motivation every day as you wake up should be equivalent to the calling that you have. What does that mean? Now, obviously, when the Apostle Paul is speaking of calling, he is talking about the Lord's gracious undeserved gift of salvation and the fact that the Lord predestined and predetermined to save each one of us before the foundations of the world. This is walking in a way, this is living out our day-to-day life in a way where we truly understand the value of salvation. If you truly understand the value of what you have in Jesus Christ, it will, as a matter of fact, Change your life. Every time. It has to. Now, understanding the significance that behind our walk is something of immense value. God himself, stepping off his throne in glory, taking on human flesh, and sacrificing himself, allowing his own creation to kill his earthly body, to pay the death penalty that you and I owe. Now, a true understanding of this fills the believer in a very unique way, fills him with immense gratitude, immense love and joy, and immense motivation to bring God glory with your life. That should be our goal every day. And then we see things like the second half of the book of Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul is teaching us how to do that, and we are all in. We say, yes, show me how. Now, of course, this makes sense that the level of gratitude should be our motivating factor behind what we're offering to God. Because there is nothing more valuable in life. Right? There is no greater gift that you or I could be given there is nothing that could motivate you more than the gift of salvation. Paul then spends the next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, showing us what that looks like. And chapter 4, which leads us into this second half, can be broken down. I'm going to just break it down real quick so that we can see where our verse fits. We are motivated out of the gift of salvation to walk. Yes, Paul, we want to walk. Lord, we want to give you glory with our lives. Show us how. And in chapter 4, he breaks it down like this. He says, walking in unity as the church. Okay. He says, walking according to the new man. The fact that you are a new man in Christ. Okay. He says, walking in love. He says, walking as children of light. Walking in truth. He says, walking in wisdom. Now, all of these topics are very important because we know that the Christian life is difficult, so we need this help. We need the Lord's infinite wisdom if we are going to do this right. Now, the world around us becomes the landscape of the Christian life, and we understand that these things are designed to help us function and flourish within the world, including having the proper perspective of what we are supposed to do and what the world is doing. Now, how to do this is crucial. And seeing what this looks like in the eyes of God gives us a clear picture and a goal. We want to build a goal for what we're doing. And today, our verse, located in the second half, is instruction for us. And it's a part of how do we walk in wisdom. Verses 15 to 21 is all about how the believer is designed to walk in a wise way according to how the Lord has designed Now, walking in wisdom is also broken down. I'll do it super quick. Walking in wisdom. Verse 15 is purposeful wisdom. Verse 15 says this of chapter 4. Therefore, look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully. It's very purposeful. We don't just wing the Christian life. We're being very purposeful to seek out the wisdom in the way the Lord wants us to live. Verse 16 tells us and shows us eager wisdom. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This understanding of redeeming the time is an eagerness to take up the time that the Lord has given me so that I can apply wisdom to it. I want to apply, I'm eager to apply wisdom to, the, to what the Lord has given me in my life. Verse 17 is informed wisdom. It says, on account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You can't be wise, you can't exercise wisdom, if you don't know what the will of the Lord is. That's why the scriptures are so valuable to us. It gives us what we need so that we can honor the Lord and we can live in a wise way. Verse 18 to 19 is energized wisdom. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, energized by the Holy Spirit. Singing and making songs and melodies with our heart. We are energized by the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 is grateful wisdom, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Of course, we should be living out gratitude and giving thanks to the Lord. How can we not thank God for something so undeserved? That should be a part of our thinking and our praying every single day. What an honor it is to thank him for salvation. And the last one is sacrificial wisdom. And that's where we are today. Sacrificial wisdom and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, Paul teaches here that when pursuing wisdom, when pursuing a desire to give God glory with our lives, making a wise decision must include submission towards one another. Submission must be in place. A decision that does not have another person's interest in mind would not be a wise decision. But the heart of submission goes very deep. The heart of submission goes so deep. That was the introduction. Now we're going to get into the meat. Now we get into the meat. The heart of submission goes so deep, deeper than simply having it in the mix of our thinking. Deeper than just understanding it in the list of things that maybe I should pursue. It's so much deeper than that. It is the very heart of the Christian. It's the goal of the Christian every single day. And it's the desire of the Christian. And this morning we must check our hearts. As we see the picture of submission that the Lord has given us, we must check our hearts. Is submission as important to me as it is to God in the way that the Lord has given me? It is incredibly important for us to understand that this is a command from God. It's not an option. So this picture that we will build, understand the Lord expects us to have this. Now, let's read it again. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, And being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The New American Standard Version says, And be subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. The English Standard Version says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The New King James Version says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, our focal word for today is submitting or subjecting. Now, the Greek word for this is hupate, hupate, and it literally means this, to order oneself under a leader, to order oneself under a leader. Now, this word in our context should be seen as an active verb an active verb. This means that we as the believers are purposefully putting ourselves in this position of submission, as opposed to being placed in it by someone else or something else. This is us actively doing this. So keep that in mind. Now, of course, we do balance that with the fact that the Holy Spirit has indwelled us, and the Holy Spirit motivates us, and influences us, and teaches us, and drives us. But we know as a Christian we have responsibility. We must be at work and we must be purposefully pursuing this submission so let's discuss hupate let's discuss submission now submission is to purposefully place yourself under a leader that's the essence of what that means now there are two ways to basically see submission in the scripture two ways submission to a specific person or to a, s- a specific order and then the other is mutual general submission sort of a, a mutual submission. And in our, in our context today, in verse 21, we're speaking about mutual submission, because the Apostle Paul is teaching to the Ephesian church at large. He's saying the entire church, from age baby to the age old. Submission, general submission, and We will see that in the verses to come, Paul ends up breaking down the specifics in relationships, right? We see later on that he starts speaking about the husband and wife role. We start seeing that he starts speaking about the parent and child role, the roles within the leader, um, the workplace. But instead, we are focusing specifically on mutual submission that all believers have to each other. And... How do we know? How do we know that that's specifically what the Apostle Paul is focusing on? Well, again, he's addressing the whole church, and he's instructing the entire church as to how to walk. This is a part of the bigger picture of how you walk as a Christian wisdom. Every believer has that responsibility, and this is included in that instructions. So, how should we understand this submission? What exactly is being submitted to? Who exactly are we submitting to? How are we supposed to place ourselves behind others? Let's sort of see that from a practical way. And a simple way to start is by looking at this as something that is being denied or something that is being given up. The quick answer is, I am denying personal preference. When said sort of in light of our definition, it sounds like this. I am purposefully placing my preferences behind the preferences of somebody else. That is the most broad, general way that us as the church can submit to each other. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. Hold your place in Ephesians. We're going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 2, building this picture out. Philippians chapter 2. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3, it says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Verse 4, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, at the core of submission is preferring others. At the core, at the heart of submission is preferring others but it has a deeper motivation it says regarding or considering others more important than yourself and this is where we're going to build upon now this is speaking of a mindset that comes from the heart of the true believer this is not simply a decision it's not simply a day-to-day act and it's definitely not a reluctant act or decision but it's in fact the heart That has already, in their heart, placed themselves, placed others before themselves. It's already happening based on who you are in your heart. This should be the natural inclination of the Christian. To say, others more important than me. Others more important than me. Now this is completely against our culture. This is completely against what we absorb day to day and what we've been brought up in. The idea that just naturally others are more important than me? We live in a me-centered world, don't we? And even if there are acts of kindness, let's face it, there seems to be acts of kindness in the world. Even if there are, these acts of kindness are not coming from a heart that sees people inherently as more important than themselves. Maybe important, maybe maybe equally important, but surely not more important this is unique to the Christian faith. This is unique to the standard that God Almighty has set for his people. Now, for the Christian, the ability to see others as more important than themselves comes from a very important place. Comes from a heart and a place of humility. Humility. A word we should all be very familiar with. Humility. Humility. Now, humility is something that all true believers must possess. In fact, it is impossible to have salvation without humility. It is impossible to live the Christian life without humility. Why? Because humility is what positions us, positions us. What position are you in? Are you in a position of humility? Is this where you live? James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is given to the humble because only in humility is one able to see and admit their utter sinfulness. Only in humility can you see that. The world is prideful. They reject their sinfulness. They reject the, the idea of looking into your heart and seeing sinfulness. How negative it is to them, not to the Christian. Only in true humility can you see your utter need for a Savior. The world doesn't need a Savior because they don't see their need. Because they don't have humility, they're living in their pride. Their pride is just uh, ruling every area of their, of their life. Only when you have true humility will you cry out to the Lord in repentance. And it's the ability, through humility, to see ourselves for who we truly are in our sinfulness. And it's only through humility do you start to see your lack of righteousness, and lack of love, and lack of anything that is truly holy according to the Lord's standard and that we are completely at the mercy of God to both pardon us and to then position us in a position of humility to serve Him. Are we in a position of submission to God? Do we live day to day in a position of understanding who I am before a holy God? This is not a position that maybe we consider receive salvation, and then come out of to go into our lives as boastful, prideful people with all of our skills and abilities. We must live in a a position of submission unto the Lord. Why? Because that's His rightful place, and this is our rightful place as sinners before a holy God. It's a posture of need. It's a posture of brokenness. Only in this posture do we, through the help of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to be conformed into the image of our Savior and then to live it out. The humble person gladly puts others first. Why? Because they are glad to acknowledge that they do not deserve anything. They do not deserve to be preferred. Who am I in the posture before Almighty God at the foot of the cross to say, by the way, my preference, and then come? It's silly when you think of it that way. We don't want to be preferred because we are glad to be in a posture of submission before our Savior, Jesus Christ, because we see the privilege. What a great privilege it is to be purchased by the blood of Christ. What a great privilege it is to be reconciled before our Creator. It is a privilege. And we must relish the fact that we are here on our knees before the King. It is the ideal position to be in before Christ. This is a place of honor before the Lord. Because only He can give us that. Only He can do that work in us. Change the heart of a sinner. So that we might be humble enough to see ourselves before the Lord. And respond to Him in the way that He deserves What an honorable position to be before the king. But you can only see the honor of that through true humility. Because only in true humility do you see yourself. And when you see yourself, guess who else you see? Your God. Your God. Your great and merciful king, creator, all-powerful, mighty in all ways, beautiful, beyond measure, our king. He can only be truly enjoyed and loved and served from a posture of submission to him. Gladly beautiful and i'm emphasizing this is because this is the position that we must live and you can start to see that if we are in this position before the lord and our preferences are not even something that we think about because we prefer this this is what i prefer dare i get up from this for what the lesser value of my preference i'm going to get up from the foot of the cross for my preference never i will stay here before my lord the heart of the believer naturally places themselves in this position. And through this, we can put others first. This is how we can submit to others preferences. By the way, that does not mean that we don't have preferences. It doesn't mean that we don't have natural inclinations that are unique to us, interests that are unique to us. Those things are wonderful. We are wonderfully made in the image of, of God. Uniquely organized. We all have different favorites, and we should celebrate those things uniquely, but it means that we are not concerned with whether or not we get those things. If you want me to choose, I'll choose. I have a preference that will naturally come out, but I couldn't care less whether or not I get that thing. I don't don't care. Why? Because I'm not focused on me. My preference is not my concern. Others. Others. Now look at verse 4 of Philippians 2. Verse 4 says this, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Again, we have interests, we have preferences, and that is completely fine. We are all unique, and those things are great. And believe it or not, the Lord gives us so many opportunities where we simply get to do those things. Right? When it's just you at Starbucks, you get to choose whatever coffee you want. The Lord is very kind and merciful. We don't need to worry about our preferences. The Lord is too gracious. Every time you find yourself alone, you get to enjoy the preferences that the Lord has given you. But the heart of the Christian does not need them. He doesn't live for them. And in fact, he must and surely should prefer others. Do you, Christian, have this attitude? Do you see this in your life? We must all take a step back and look. Where am I? Am I here? Sometimes? Full-time? Part-time? We want to live in this heart of submission, because it's beautiful. And it's not, have you ever done it? We all have. It's, do you always do it? Now, why is this important? Paul tells us, in verse 5 of Philippians 2, he says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Jesus Christ who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Now, we gladly do this We gladly submit to each other out of the natural position that we should be in because of the example Jesus Christ himself gave us. That must mean something to us. That can't just be something that we sort of rush through when we're reading the scriptures. Jesus Christ himself is the example. He did not consider it equality with God, or better yet, as God Something that would hold him back from giving to others. And not just giving to others, preferring others in that moment. Jesus got up off of his throne, went from being at the front of the line, the very front, and walked to the back. Verse 7 says, Be taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of man. From king to slave. From perfect God into human body being found in the appearance of man, verse 8. Purposefully so that he could, as verse 8 says, humble himself. On purpose to do that. God himself. Amazing. To the point of obedience, to the point of death on the cross. To die on the cross so that others could benefit. There is no greater exchange here. There is no greater conversion rate than what we just saw. There is no more significant trade. And this is our pattern. This is our pattern and this should be our motivation. We put others first gladly because Christ did. We consider others more important than ourselves because Christ did. And we do this in humility because Christ did. But we also need to understand why we should do this, right? We are not the perfect God who did this, who chose to lay down his perfection. We are, in fact, sinners, acknowledging that we do not deserve our preferences to be met in the first place, that we do not deserve that. Let's be reminded of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, and turn there if you'd like. Luke 18. This picture helps us. It reminds us of our position, of the heart behind our position that puts us in a place for us to equally and e- uh, easily be serving each other. Luke 18, starting in verse 11, it says this The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself God. I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, crooked adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to raise his eyes towards heaven but was beating his breast saying god have mercy to me the sinner i tell you this this man went home justified rather than the other one for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted who went home justified the proud boasting pharisee no the tax collector Who surely was a sinner, but was beating his breast out of self-inflection and understanding of his sinfulness before a holy God. And just to personalize it and to remove any ideas of, well, I'm not as bad as the Pharisee, which, by the way, immediately places you in the position of the Pharisee. Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Everyone, based on whatever unique situation you might be in, requires the same level of humility as that tax collector. Do you have those moments? Have you ever found yourself in prayer before the Lord, just seeing who you are? Lord, I'm sorry for saying sorry again. My goodness, but you're so merciful. We have to be honest and humble with ourselves to have those moments. And it will always result in sorrow over sin. Now, this is the foundation of mutual submission. This is the heart of the Christian. This is the posture that we must be living in every day of our lives gladly. So then let's get practical. Let's get practical. What does this look like? What does this submission look like? Putting others first. How should we be living this out? And we're going to look at three elements of submission from the broader teaching of Scripture. A little biblical theology of what submission is designed to look at, look like in our lives. The first one is submission is seen in serving others. We're going to keep it so simple. Serving others. Second one is is giving to others. And the last one is speaking to others. Now, we know that it should come gladly from our heart to put others first. And if Jesus is the ultimate example, which he is, what else can we glean from him? Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're going to break down this text just a tiny bit so that we can see practically what it looks like and be motivated by our ultimate example, Jesus Christ. John, chapter 13. Verse 5. John 13, verse 5. It says this. Then he, Jesus, poured water into a basin. You know where we're going, don't you? And he began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. Now jump down to verse 12. It says, then when he had finished washing their feet, and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? He says, he is saying, do you understand the significance of what just happened? Probably not, so I'm going to tell you. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, so I am. So if I... The Lord and the teacher washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did. Highlight that section. Highlight it. It's massively important. This is the underpinning of the Christian life. This is the underpinning of our heart's desire and motivation to be submitting to each other. In this way, he gave us a purposeful example. Now, his example is our first point, serving others, right? He did a service to those disciples. He served them. But he did so in such a way that it covers the entire board of serving options. It's genius. This is just the Lord's infinite wisdom on display. It transcends all hierarchy in relationships, Washing the feet in Bible times was reserved for the lowliest of servants, right? Feet were dirty. They were walking around in the dust in that time. It wasn't like us with brand new shoes and relatively clean socks. These guys were walking around in sandals, in mud in dust, and dust. Their feet were dirty, big time. And what's unique is that This job, at that time, demanded something, two things that are very unique. It demanded a lowering of oneself. It demanded a lowering of oneself, both pridefully and physically, by the way. Physically, as you know, you must lower yourself. You must get down on your knees and wash those feet. But you're putting yourself in a place of submission. And also, you're putting yourself in a place of vulnerability, aren't you? Your head is down. You are unguarded. Your job is simply to serve those feet. That's an amazing picture when you plug in Jesus Christ doing that. On his face. On the ground, washing dirty feet. The creator of all things. Now, Jesus gave us the pattern of how to serve. And the limit is that of the lowliest task. It's where he begins. Now, you and I don't wash feet which means everything in our lives becomes an option for service. Everything. So the heart of one who's submitting to others should gladly be seeing this as the pattern for our lives and gladly challenged to say, my Savior, if this is what you want me to do, I will do it. And if you, oh God, were willing to do it, I'm doing it. And I want to, I'm excited to do it because this is the position I want to be in before you we're eager. Consider Romans 12.10. It says this, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now the affection that we have towards one another is brotherly. It's relational. When you see in the scriptures talking about brothers, we're talking about believers. In the family of Christ, this is the church. It's very intimate. It's very personal. We all share with our brothers and sisters the most valuable possession we have. We share with them. It's a unique relationship. The church is a very unique thing. You do not share with anybody, any relationship, any organization what you share with the family of Jesus Christ. Everything else you share out in the world with other people is insignificant to the nth degree compared to what we share here. We have to have that in our hearts. We have to be living in that realization. And the motivation here, it says, to outdo. See how purposeful and how eager to outdo and to strive towards showing this honor to each other. I want to outdo you at following in the pattern of Christ. And it says, taking advantage of each opportunity, taking advantage. When we walk into a room, we should be walking in saying, "Who's here and how can I serve? Who's here and who's in need?" That's what we should be doing, just analyzing, just looking. No matter where we are, who needs help? What can I do? How can I plug myself into the situation and be of use? Instantly, that should be. Why? Because I live in this. I'm a servant. I live in this humble submission. This is where I reside, and I'm glad to be down here. I'm not going anywhere before my God, and I'm going to follow in the position, in the footsteps of my Savior. Whose feet can I wash? Looking around. Who's the dirtiest? I'm washing you first. That should be the heart. And it's a beautiful thing. Galatians 5.13 says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serving one another. This is a very interesting verse. Paul tells the Galatians here that the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ... The freedom that they have in Jesus Christ is not meant for the flesh or sin. In other words, what our sinful desires would want. He is speaking here in context to the Galatians, them being freed from the requirements of the law and the freedom to rest in what Christ did. They are not earning their salvation. They are not living out the law in an attempt to earn salvation. That is a burden too heavy for anyone to bear. They are living in the freedom of what Christ has done for them. The only thing by which they're saved is salvation through Christ. But that freedom and rest and peace does not license us to sin. Okay? The freedom which relies on Christ and that places us where? In a posture of servant becomes a life of commitment to Christ. And Paul says, this life looks like this. Submitting to what would be beneficial to others through love, serving them. You have been freed. Congratulations. Free to what? Enjoy your salvation? Absolutely. Rest and hope in Christ? Absolutely. Have the assurance of salvation and have an eternal perspective? Yes, wonderful. And what else? Serve each other. The first thing, serve. Serve. Utilize your position before the Lord and serve each other. We see another clear picture of this in 1 Peter 4, 8-11. It says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use the gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks of oracles, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. With salvation comes gifts. What a unique blessing That we receive gifts, unique gifts, unique to ourselves. Here's where we take a moment and we can celebrate our uniqueness. Because we all have unique gifts. Wonderful. Guess what it's for? Serving each other. It's not for you. It's not for you. It's for Christ and his glory. And it's for everyone else. And Paul says that. Paul emphasizes this in the first half of the book when he's going through chapter 3. And he says this. Or chapter 1, rather, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The spiritual blessings that we get include all of the great, wonderful doctrines that you see in the first three chapters. By the way, after this, go read them. Relish them. See how amazing they are. See how deep and profound they are. And say, this should be affecting my life. And then look at the second half as instruction. And get at it. The great doctrines. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it gives us desires. Desires to sing praises. Spiritual songs to each other. The Holy Spirit begins to change us. We are a new creation. We are not the old man. We are the new man. We are completely, absolutely regenerated in our spirit. And we celebrate that. And guess what else we get? Gifts to serve others. Let's do it. That is who we are. Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Because if we're not serving each other, we are now bad stewards, and that's not good. Bad stewards is a disobedient steward. Keep that in mind. Because when we are disobedient, we put our God, who is a good parent and a loving father, we put him in a position to do what? Teach us. And he's not afraid to teach us in many different ways. Hard ways. So let's learn now so that we can flourish in our life and enjoy serving each other. Being a good steward of the gifts that the Holy Spirit provides through our relationship with Christ is our goal. It's designed to search one another. In order that, the scripture says, in order that in everything, in everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, as servants of Jesus, we should want to glorify God. That should be our ultimate goal. Because if that is our ultimate goal, it requires us to stop and say, in this moment, whatever the moment is, and whatever the situation is, how do I achieve that? How can I bring you glory the Lord? But we need to be in that mindset. We need to be in this always for us to be always focusing on it. My job is to glorify God. Give him glory. How do I do that? In this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment, that moment, this moment. That's the Christian life. And the simple answer is just through obedience. What's the obedient thing to do? What's the obedient thing to do here? What's the wisest thing to do? And Jesus finishes his teaching, by the way, of washing of the feet by showing how this contributes to our influence on the washing world, which is a unique uh, element of our serving as well. It says in John 13, 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The love we have for each other is an unconditional love that places others before ourselves. It's so counterintuitive of our individualistic, independent, not accountable to anybody, whatever it takes to make me happy world that we live in. We need to see that. It's important that we understand that that's what's out there. Which means we need to be careful about how much of that we're absorbing. Because we want to glorify God so badly. They will see us and we should want that. We should want that really badly. What is more valuable? What picture of life is more beautiful? What we see out there, what the Lord is designing for us. And we're humbly to put Christ's example first. Now, this obviously makes sense, which in, within the, the concept of unity in the church, chapter 2 of Ephesians, all about unity. That's a, one of the wonderful, magnificent foundational truths that we have this unity in Christ. Right? We're not saved as individuals. We're not saved as lone wolves. We are saved into the body of Christ. The church is essential. The church is important. The church we need. Without the church, we are functioning with one leg. It's that important. And we must hold ourselves accountable to this. move fast. Our second point is this. By submitting and preferring others. By giving. Our second point is giving. And we see this. The Apostle Paul builds this in chapter 4 of Ephesians. He says this in chapter 4, verse 28. Hopefully you had your thumb there. Go right back. See, we're moving fast. Chapter 4, verse 28. It says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. This new life that Paul talks about, he gives the distinction of the old man the new man. This life that he talks about walking in involves turning from things of the old man, stealing, having a heart that is greedy. And it's turning to and it's developing in a heart that is willing to work. We are, we are required to work, be men, be strong, right? So that we can work and provide. And why else? So that we can give. So that we can give. We serve by giving. You put others first by giving. Who has a need? Who has a need? Acts 20.35 says this, In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. He himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Massive truth. <laughs> That should be easy for me. I'm not worried about my preferences because I'm here, submissive and humble before my Lord. No problem. Giving, 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 giving. Here Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders three years after he wrote this letter, reminding them. And the world says, I can't give too much. i got to be careful because I need too many things. We live in a consumer-driven culture. Every advertisement trying to sell us something. But the true Christian knows he deserves nothing. And he is eager to serve by giving, giving, giving. And he can do this because, how can he do this? How can he give out of what he has? Even when it seems like resources are tight? He can do this because he trusts in his Father to always provide. And he always will and he always has. It's time we start believing in God's provision and God's love as a father and simply just listening to him and giving and serving. The Lord will provide. The Lord will take care of the rest. Let us just be humble servants. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. It's the world that's a but, 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 but. No, let's go forward. Let the Lord take care of the rest. Ephesians 4 says, verse 29. Okay, our third point, last point. I'm going to go fast. Preferring others, submitting to others, and our third point through our speech. Speech. What an interesting one. I bet you didn't think we were going to go down that road. Verse 29 of Ephesians 4 says this, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear our speech. Have you considered this? This is immensely important. We submit. And prefer others by making sure that what we say is designed, 100% of the time, always to edify them. That's it. My goal. I am submitting. I am going to prefer the words that come out of my mouth in every situation. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to submit my potentially sinful preferences... Or whatever my preferences of speech are, I'm going to submit them to you by making sure whatever I say is going to edify you, build you up, not corrupt. And then it says fitting to each individual situation. It's designed to give grace. And we have the ability to say whatever we want and we do, unfortunately. And our culture takes full advantage of expressing ourselves talks ourselves up, it boasts, it brags, it gossips, it lies, it yells, it screams, it manipulates, throws people under the book. But Paul's saying that in our posture of serving others, we reserve that what we are going to say is designed to edify others and please the Lord. Always. It will always be helpful. It will always be kind. It will always be soft. It will always be gentle. It will always be considerate. It will always be considering, hear this, the experience of the other person. Guess what? Yelling is not enjoyable for the person who's listening. It's not. Which means you are selfishly not considering them. You are selfishly not considering them. You are only considering what you want to say based on how you feel in that moment. Sin. That's not submission. We must submit what we're going to say. All you married folks, think about that. That's important. Communication is huge. I'm only going to say something to you that is going to edify you and give you a good experience. Period. Always. Forever. Good luck. (laughs) It's hard. It is hard. Of course it is because we're still sinners. We, We know that. But nonetheless, that's our goal. And if that's our goal, we can trust that the Lord is what? Going to guide us and help us. If our goal is to give him glory, always and everything, even the extremely hard things, we can rest assured the Lord's going to help us do that. He wants his glory. He wants to be glorified in our lives. He deserves that glory. He will help you. But that must be your goal. And you'll get there. You can't get anywhere if there's no goal. You don't just show up at places and say, oh, this is exactly where I want it to be. How funny. We have to set goals and be purposeful. That's our speech. And it says, according to the moment, which, by the way, requires us. If you're going to speak edifying things according to the moment, it's going to require a very unique level of attention. And here's where I'm a servant. Paying attention to everyone. Looking for opportunities to serve. Learning, loving. I know you. You know me. We're brothers and sisters. And I've learned you so that in the moment, I can speak to you in a way that is helpful and edifying. And I can serve you. This is an all-encompassing life of being a servant. It's beautiful. And I'll just close with mentioning our last, the last part of verse 21 of Ephesians 5. It so says, be subject to one another. We see how beautiful that is coming from the heart of submission, the heart of a humble servant. And it says, in the fear of Christ, in the fear of Christ, the motivation of for all of this is the fear of the Lord. The word fear here is a broad term usage and when it's connected with a causal noun which is God we know that it's always referring to reverential awe. Reverential awe is the most beautiful deep complicated mix and blend of fear and awe. Fear that the Lord is magnificent, all-powerful, and in control of all things. My life is in his hands. Do not fear man, who can kill the body, but fear God, who has our very souls in the palm of his hand. That's big, okay. That's big, what? But it's also the awe of knowing who our God is. Holy, righteous, loving, kind, generous, willing to save me, What? Awe oh, for that willing to save me in a way that he did Awe oh, for that deserves that the Christian should be living in our salvation always and that will motivate us and that will always remind us of what we should be doing and how we should be living out our faith. So let us commit this to our lives church. Let us let us be challenged to live as Christians who are submitting to each other out of our humble heart of submission unto the Lord. Let us dare not come from our amazing position. Don't ever for a second see this position as a disadvantage. It is the greatest of positions. You can be the most successful man in the world with everything to boast about, standing on top of a mountaintop, and guess what? That person is in the worst position of his life. He will stand before a holy God. And he will pay for the sins that he has not humbly repented of. So let us stand before our king, gladly enter in, in this humble submission unto our Lord, relying on Christ, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, where we should be, and then enjoy eternity in heaven. It's amazing. This is a very short period of time down here. Let us relish this time and live as humble servants. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Almighty God, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, for saving us, for being willing to send Christ our Savior to pay for the great need that we had, to pay for what we owed to you a death penalty that our serve, our sin deserves. Thank you. And as a response, Lord, we commit to living in a way that is equivalent to the value of our salvation. Let us see so deeply how valuable this is. Let us grow in our love for our Savior and let our walk, our Christian life, reflect that we understand what we have. For your glory, we ask this. I pray that you would bless this church, bless these people, let them serve and love each other, knowing that they're following in the pattern of their Savior, knowing that they are pleasing you, O God. And knowing that they are investing into this wonderful body of Christ. We pray all of these things in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus.